You're listening to audio from Ascend Church. For more information about Ascend or to access more gospel-centered tools to grow as a disciple of Christ, visit ascendkc.org. I'm also grateful for the opportunity that Thanksgiving has to usher in the Christmas season. And I have to tell you, as a child, and I communicated this to you in my email this week, but as a child, I just looked at Thanksgiving as, hey, this is a kickoff to present season. But as I've grown as an adult, what I appreciate about Thanksgiving is that it's really an opportunity to breathe. Because man, about five o'clock on Thanksgiving, like all of the retailers are plugging the texts, they're opening the doors, they're reminding us of what we don't have and what we think we need. And I'm grateful for the Thanksgiving holiday that just gives us an opportunity to hopefully just pause and reflect to all that we have. And when we do that, I think it puts all that we want and all that we need in the right perspective. Well, we're also heading into a time of the year that is very heavy on tradition. Don't believe me? Let me ask you this. How many of you love a real tree for Christmas? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Because here's the deal. There are those who love real trees, and then there are those who are wise. (laughs) Those who understand biblical financial stewardship. Understand that at the end of the Christmas season, you can get them for half price and you can put them up over and over and over again. And that's just stewardship. Okay, let me try another one. How many of you love to begin Christmas songs and decorating the tree the day after Thanksgiving? Don't raise your hand. Because then there's the rest of us that like when October comes, it is time for Christmas because after all, Jesus is the reason for the season. And what's wrong with all y'all that you have to wait till the day after Thanksgiving? Tradition. I'll stop right there because I'm getting myself into trouble. But I didn't realize how important the tradition of Advent is to many people. I grew up in a church that we didn't celebrate Advent had people from the very early days of us launching this church saying, are we going to do Advent at Christmas? And I'm like, I don't even know what Advent is. And so actually, uh, y'all prevailed upon me. And about a few years ago, we started Advent. And in doing so, we understand that there's primarily four topics that we focus on. There's love, there's joy, there's peace, there's hope. And so we've focused on those over the last two or three years. But as Ben and I were thinking about Advent season This year, we came back to a philosophy that we have, which is let's not elevate tradition for tradition's sake. I hope you can see that even as we design our worship sets and what we do in the auditorium for Sunday morning service. We appreciate tradition, but we don't want to have tradition become white noise. And that can happen, can it? And so this year, the creative team handed off to me the theme, and it was He Abides. And I have to be honest with you, I scratched my head like, what? And so I I did a quick Google search on He Abides with Christmas songs, and nothing came up except for the, what's the Bethlehem song? Oh, a little, yes, some of you grew up in the era I did that we actually sang those songs. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, and then there's the phrase, oh, come to us, abide with us, there's the word, our Lord, Emmanuel. And it's that concept that as a creative team was unpacking to me, this concept of he abides that I realized, yes, that is an important theme for Advent season. And so for the next four Sundays and for Christmas Eve, 
we will be focusing on the topic of abide for the purpose of making sure that tradition is in its right place. We'll put a quote up on the screen that tradition elevated to a place where tradition takes precedence over Christ is idolatry. Let that be a reminder to us that as we head into this season, we can enjoy traditions, we can enjoy Advent, we can enjoy the Christmas trees and the gifts and the parties and the gift giving and the gift receiving, but let's make sure the tradition is in its proper place. Because anytime tradition is elevated to a place where it eclipses Christ, it is idolatry. And so the hope is that as we study Christ's and study God's abiding plan that we will have our understanding overflow into our thinking, speaking, and behavior so that this Advent season will be a season of abiding in Christ and he with us. Look at the big idea in your notes. The plan for God's abiding with us cannot be thwarted. And we live in an era, at least in my lifetime, that is unprecedented where it seems like all of the forces of culture are are trying to thwart God's plan of abiding. But the fact is, as we study this passage this morning and the rest of the Advent season, that God's plan cannot be thwarted, but there's also a reality that he expects us to participate. I hope to show that to you by asking you to turn to a passage you might not think of when we think of the Christmas season, and that is Genesis chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, just reach in the seats in front of you, grab one of those Bibles, turn to the first book of the Bible. Chapter 1 is where we will begin. And I want us to, first of all, establish abiding. This is the establishing of abiding, not just for the season, not just for the Advent theme, but for all of God's plan. This concept of abiding is really found in two terms in the New Testament. The first one is really found in John 15. Chad opened this up to us a few weeks ago. The idea of abiding in a Greek dictionary begins with the concept of remaining in one place for an extended period of time. In John 15... Jesus says, abide in me, abide in Christ, remain in Christ for an extended period of time. But the Greek dictionary goes on to focus on fulfilling an agreement or standing firm in the midst of difficult circumstances. And that's important for us to understand when it comes to abiding. That abiding in Christ is not just a bed of roses. Abiding in Christ means there will be opposition. Abiding in Christ is not the gateway to perpetual health, wealth, and prosperity. Abiding in Christ is us remaining in him for the rest of our lives and him fulfilling his agreement so that we can stand firm no matter what the circumstances. Jesus talks about this in John 14. He says he abides in the Father, and the Father in him, fulfilling and revealing an intimacy of relationship. So there's that word abiding and that concept. But then the second word that is translated abiding in the New Testament is also translated as tabernacle or dwelling. And that draws our attention back to the Old Testament, doesn't it? And so that's why we go back to the Old Testament to begin our understanding of what God's plan for abiding has always been for redemptive history. 
In Genesis chapter 1, we see the account of creation. And beloved, let me just share with you that God has gifted humanity with his creation. Those of you who enjoy the winter season, you're enjoying the fact that none of the trees or most of the trees don't have leaves anymore, but the rest of us are longing for the day when those trees and those branches begin to bloom. But even in that, the the cycles of creation are intended to remind us of the creator's handiwork, and, and it is most vividly on display in the beginning of creation. Now, some people believe that these chapters are allegory or poetry, but as we study the scriptures, as we look at how the New Testament refers to these chapters, it's best to understand these as historical fact, and that's how I am understanding them as I preach them. Day one begins with the creator speaking light and darkness. Day two, he separates the sky or the heavens from the water. Day three, he creates dry land and vegetation. Day four, the celestial bodies, the sun, moon, and the stars. Day five, the birds and the sea creatures. And at this point, it's already amazing, isn't it? But then day six is the most incredible day. God creates beasts, including Dogs and our sweet Finley Ray. He creates the crawling things, but the pinnacle of his creation takes place on day six, and that is humanity. Humanity isn't unique. First of all, look at verse 26 of chapter one. It says, Then God said, Let us, which, by the way, that phrase alone is so rich, we'll have to talk about it later. Let us make man, let us make humanity, look at this, in our image and after our likeness. What this means is that there is an essence that is unique to this aspect of creation as compared to any other aspect of creation. What it means is that humanity, just like God, can discern the difference between moral good and moral evil. Humanity has a conscience. No other creation has that. Humanity can offer up worship to the creator. No other aspect of creation can willfully do that. In that way, humanity is unique in that it is in the image and likeness of God. But it is also unique in its role. Look at the role in verse 26. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And he repeats it in verse 28. The role of humanity is to exercise the authority of the creator over his creation. But then there's also a uniqueness in the relationship. It's interesting. You can study this later, but verse 26 says, let us make man in our own image and in our likeness. If you go to Genesis chapter 5 and look at the genealogy of Adam, it says that Adam brought forth a son in his own image and likeness. It draws attention to relationship. And humanity has the unique opportunity to be in intimate relationship, covenant relationship with God that draws out this concept of abiding. God's plan was that he would abide with his people and his people would abide with them. And look at verse 28, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Let me give you just a glimpse of how this continues from Genesis 
to Revelation. You can write down these verses and look at them later, but Genesis 9-1. After God decided because of the wickedness of humanity that he was going to destroy humanity except for one family, he gave them creation 2.0. And he said to Noah and his family, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with the goal of ensuring that humanity would dwell with God and God with humanity and cover the corners of the globe. You can write down Daniel chapter 7 and verse 14. God's plan was that son of man would have a dominion that would be across the globe. Habakkuk 2.14, there will be a day when the glory of God will be filling the entire earth. Zechariah 9 and verse 10, the king that rode in on the donkey would have a dominion that would go from sea to sea and from the rivers to the ends of the earth. And then Revelation 21 and 22, the dominion of the king in eternity will expand to the new heavens and the new earth. God's plan from the beginning of creation was to dwell and abide with, with man and man with him. God gifts us with a lot of shadows of the importance of this presence and abiding, doesn't he? We have a young small group you saw that with Caitlin and Mitchell. And in any young small group with young married people, there usually becomes babies. I won't explain that. You can ask your parents if you're young. But what happens is with young babies comes tears. With young babies comes exercising their vocal cords. And it's fascinating, even with a small group that's equipped with a small group leader who does an amazing job holding babies and bouncing them with deep knee bends, you can see I'm just a natural. There's oftentimes one presence that can only soothe that baby, and that's the mother. But we also see this with teenagers. Not that we have an experience with this, but isn't it fascinating how a young lady can be so calm and so coordinated, but in the presence of the young man that she's attracted to, trips, drops, stutters, presence impacts, doesn't it? The most wonderful illustration I can think of in my life is weddings, which by the way, when I'm about to illustrate this and what I'm about to say, let me clarify. If I've ever had the opportunity to join you in holy matrimony, mowage, one of these days I'm going to do that. I love you all. I've enjoyed your weddings, but it's not my favorite. Because you got to dress up formal. you got to put that thing around your neck. There's a reason why we don't wear those anymore. It's formal with pictures, and you can't mess up. Or if you do, somebody reminds you of that. Thankfully, here at Ascend on Sunday mornings, I mess up all the time. And very rarely does somebody come up and be like, you have your words together today, Pastor? But at weddings... But if you're going to look at the, the experiences of my life, and the top tier is actually a wedding. And it's not because it went perfectly. It's not because of the location. It's because of the presence that I got to experience. My most favorite person in the entire world stood next to me. And we entered into the most personal covenant that humans can enter into this side of eternity. And that presence continues. When I hear her voice in the hall, in the office during the week, my heart skips a beat. 
When I come home after a long day of work, all I have to do is see her face and everything changes. Presence is intended to impact us, but those are all just shadows. God has designed us as human beings to be most impacted by one presence alone, and that is the presence of our creator. The idea of abiding continues from Genesis and continues with humanity. In fact, let me give you some verses, and I would encourage you to write these down. Look at them later. There's some words that I I think we'll be able to connect together to show you that God's plan for all of eternity has been for him to abide with his people and his people to abide with him. Would you write down Genesis 3 and verse 8? It says that the Lord God walked in the garden in the cool of the day. That word walk is found again in Leviticus 26.12. Would you write that down? Leviticus 26, 11 and 12 talks about walk as well as the word dwell and is talking about the concept of the tabernacle. And so here you see, as it were, the Holy Spirit connecting the Garden of, the Eden, of Eden and the abiding that took place there with the abiding that would take place with the Jews in the tabernacle. But then you can write down 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. That same term in Leviticus 26 is found again in 1 Corinthians 3.16 where Paul says to the church of Corinth, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that his spirit dwells in you? So you have this idea of God abiding with his people and his people abiding with him from the garden to the tabernacle to the church age in which we find ourselves. And then would you write down Revelation 21 and verse 3? There it says that God's dwelling place is with man. And God will be our God and he will be our God will be our God and we will be his people. That is in eternity. And so you can see by these words and the intentionality of how they are connected that God's plan from the beginning of creation to the end in eternity is to dwell with his people and his people to dwell and abide with him. So what does this have to do with Christmas? Well, let's continue through the text and look at number two, the expectations of abiding the expectations of abiding. We see in 28 that the Lord expected and instructed his humanity to be fruitful and multiply. And in verses 26 and 28, to exercise dominion. And so what does this look like? Well, it's not just control. Look at chapter 2 and verse 15, would you please? It says, the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Would you underline those phrases? Because these phrases put together actually only occur again in the Old Testament in reference to the priests. So this is not just God instructing Adam to hoe and to rake the garden. He's saying there's a spiritual expectation to protect the garden. And so let me remind you of this. There are four ways that we can fulfill God's design and his plan for abiding that are found in the text. Number one, to enjoy abiding as God designed, 
He will dwell with his people who live in perfect obedience. Would you write that down? If you want to understand and enjoy God's plan for abiding the way he designed it, then you and I must live in perfect obedience. Now, before you run ahead to say, well, this is work salvation, remember these are the expectations of God for his humanity. That if you want to be able to abide, if you want to be able to enjoy it the way that the creator designed it, then you live and you must live in perfect obedience to him. So what does that look like? Well, let's start unpacking this. Number two, obedience requires our carrying out his rule. We must carry out the rule of God. And so that's found in verses 26 and 28. So it says humanity must exercise dominion. Well, who has ultimate dominion over creation? It's, it's the king of kings whom we sung about. This is the God of the universe. This is the creator. And so we, we are not the kings of the universe. We, we are uh, vice regents. We are under kings. But we are to exercise his authority over creation. This means that what God instructs his creation to do, we are supposed to repeat that. We are supposed to fulfill that. We are supposed to uphold it. Number three, obedience requires our fulfilling priestly duties. What does this mean? This means guarding the gates of our hearts and minds for holiness. Beloved, he expects you and I to guard our hearts and our minds for holiness sake. What comes in must run through the filter of holiness. You want to live in an abiding presence of God? You want to abide with him and him with you? Perfect obedience requires this aspect. And it's not just you protecting the gates of your heart and your mind for holiness. It means that if you have people in your life to whom you've been given authority, then you're protecting them. Priestly duties. Number four, obedience requires our courageously clearly and consistently communicating God's word. That means we must study it and understand it ourselves. And beloved, let me just stop right there. Do you know that God has given you and I, if we are followers of Christ and we have been transformed by his blood, we have everything we need to understand God's word. In the Holy Spirit starting there, because he illuminates. In fact, my wife convicted me this last week. She reminded me that when we go to God's word, we should pray that the Holy Spirit illumines us. And I haven't been doing that lately. I'm like, ah, oh, she's right. And I've been doing it over the last week. And let me tell you, like 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, if you've ever studied that with the sign gifts, wow, it's confusing. But I've received clarity more than I've had in the past. And I think it's the result of the Holy Spirit answering that prayer. Which, by the way, speaking of my wife, let me just say that this this upcoming Saturday with the women's event, I've had the opportunity to listen to what she's going to bring to you all. And it is one of the most creative and impactful deliveries of the gospel I've ever heard. And so for those who are not saved that you bring to this event, they will hear the gospel clearly. But for you who are saved, you know, so many times we have an evangelistic event and we're like, okay, well, I guess there's not anything for me to learn. You'll learn. 
And so what a, what a blessing it's been to hear this multiple times. And so I'm borrowing from her, and I hope I don't steal from her thunder, but this is the beauty of the gospel is that God has expectations. He has expectations that we understand and communicate God's word. And if he has given you relationships where you have authority, then your responsibility is not just to study it yourself, but to teach it, to pass it on both in the church and in your circles of influence. These are the expectations. And I got to tell you, expectations remind me of coaching my girls' softball team. You knew I'd get baseball in there. Softball is like a pseudo baseball. <laughs> I remember my girls were fifth and sixth grade, and I, I had the opportunity to, to coach them. And I knew there was going to be kids who didn't have any experience. So I thought, okay, I'm going to do what I know how to do. So, okay, girls, you got to grab the softball, turn the horseshoe on the side. Well, probably all your fingers go across it. That'll allow you to be able to have... Uh, Forcing rotation. Then I taught them about the crow hop. Taught them about double cut relays because if somebody hits it to the gap, you got to make sure the shortstop trails the second baseman. And then when when you're running to first, make sure you go out, you hit the inside corner of the bag, go straight to second, and then peel out inside corner. And and what's been fascinating is one of the families whose daughter was on that team has started coming to ascend since then. And they've shared with me through the years Man, Jeff, I got to tell you, I came to that first practice and those expectations. Like this dad was thinking to himself, uh, coach, they're not going to hit it to the gap. <laughs> they're not going to double cut relay. Way too high of expectations, and he was right. But friends, let me encourage you to understand something. God designed these expectations this way. In fact, here's a quote we'll put up on the screen. God's design was expectations he knew man could not meet on their own, paving the way for Christ to be magnified. That's it. So many questions we have about creation. Why did God do this? Why did he design it this way? For Christ. He is the epicenter. And so God designed creation with expectations he knew man could not meet on their own. And so that paved the way for Christ. You don't believe this? Well, look at how this all played out. Genesis 3.1. How did Adam do with the kingly responsibility of exercising dominion over the serpent? Not great. How about Genesis 3 and verse 6, the last portion when Eve handed the fruit To Adam, no questions were asked. No priestly eyes of, wait, is this holy fruit? How about in verse 1? When the serpent asked Eve, did God actually say? You can see that Adam did not clearly and courageously and consistently communicate God's word as a prophet. Failure. Did not meet the expectations of perfect obedience. So up to this point, how does this have anything to do with Christmas? Well, it really sets up not only the point of Christmas, but the solution for a desperate humanity. Let's look at number three, the equipping of abiding the equipping of abiding and beloved, it leaves us at this point in the story of creation with a desperate humanity. 
And friends, let me remind you that when it comes to the gospel before we can get to the, new, the good news, we, we must get to a place where a, a person understands their desperate state. And that's where Genesis 3, at this point, leaves us. And look at the solution that Adam and Eve had. Look at Genesis 3 and verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And so what was their solution? They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Here's a quote I'll ask the team to put up on the screen. They made sewed coverings to address their shame, but left with broken relationship of abiding. Beloved, this is always what humanity does when their sin is exposed and they try to fix it on their own. We try to address our shame. We try to put a Band-Aid on the mortal wound. We try to go to church more. We try to say more prayers. We try to read the Bible more. We try to be around other Christians because in that we, we are addressing our shame. But there's only one solution for the broken relationship of abiding. It's interesting. It's on display as we look at God perfectly doing his part. Verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. That, that's that word, walking. God continues to abide. He, he does his part perfectly. But humanity fails and is desperate for help. Humanity is rightfully condemned, we see in verses 14 through 19. And if you just read those verses, all you see is judgment, judgment, judgment. And we're intended to feel the weight of that. None of us will fulfill perfectly the roles of prophet, priest, and king. We will not abide as God designed it, but embedded in this judgment is the equipping of the solution. You know, in the early days of marriage, I, I, we had a negative cash flow. Some of you can relate to that. And so you had to get creative. Those were the days when like the six-piece nuggets at McDonald's were like a, a feast. And I remember when it came to repairs in the house, first of all, I have low patience. Don't say anything, my love. I am not very skilled. Don't say anything, my love. And I don't really have a whole lot of great tools, or I didn't. And so what happened is I had to have to retrofit because I did not want to make that phone call. You know that trip charge? Trip charge to me is like roulette. Because they come out, and then they, they're like, oh, yeah, you just have to flip the switch on. That'll be, you know, $99.99. So I like to avoid the trip charge like the plague. Actually, that's not funny anymore in the pandemic, is it? And so I would try to retrofit the tools that I had. And one of my, one of my favorite tools through the years is my grandfather's heirloom pliers. They're like rusted. They're from the 1950s. They're all metal, and they're just one size. And I have tried to use that as a hammer. I've tried to use that as a needle nose. I've even tried to use that as a screw. Don't try that at home. But a few years ago, I got to get this like nice six-piece plier set you know, with the rubber grips, have different sizes. Some of them are needle nose. Well, all of that was needed this last Tuesday when my teenage daughter asked me as I was getting ready to get ready in the morning, Dad, do we have any hot water? Of course we have hot water, sweetie. Why do you ask? Because I didn't have hot water in the shower. 
okay. Well, it's a pilot light issue. So I went downstairs like Tim, Tim Allen. <laughs> Press the pilot light. Yeah, dad. And then went out. Yeah, dad. Went out. So I did what any dad typically does. I started Googling and YouTubing and realizing, oh, no. So that morning, I learned a lot about water heaters. And I learned that it's important to have the right tools. And I did this time, so I was equipped. It's important to have the right part number, which I drove to Lenexa, and I'm not bitter about this. I've dealt with this. But the person on the phone said it was in stock, so I drove up there. We had a tight morning. I was trying to get into work. The gas was low on the Pilot, not the Pilot water here, our Honda Pilot. (laughs) Sally had an appointment that morning, and I arrived at this Lenexa location, and they said, oh, we're out. But they have it in Lawrence. So I drove out to Lawrence, had the right part, had to fill up gas, had to get back, So my wife could have the car to be able to get to her appointment. So I was equipped. And then anytime you're doing something like this, it's valuable to have a friend who is a plumber. (laughs) And I had that. And I was lighting him up and calling him. So I was equipped. And then this is the fourth one that I think some of you are like, well, he's a pastor. He has to say this. I had God's grace. And all of you who have ever tried to do this know what I'm talking about because it never works according to Google, does it? Never works according to YouTube. There's always like, there's like a specs on the rotor and, you know, all of that that doesn't quite work out the way the YouTube, I mean, it's like a two-minute video. But God's grace was sufficient and we now have hot water. (laughs) Glory to God. The fact is, beloved, is that embedded in this judgment is the equipping that we need to fulfill God's expectations of abiding. Look at verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, if all we had was Genesis 3, it would leave us wondering, what is this solution? But the New Testament gives us light, doesn't it? In fact, Paul in Galatians actually refers to this exact passage. And he lets us know that the offspring is whom? It is Christ. Christ is the offspring. He is the solution. We have everything that we need in Christ to fulfill the expectations of God's abiding. That's where Christmas comes in. The end game of God's design and plan is not the baby in the manger, but it's important. The baby in the manger is a crucial piece of the bigger story of God's plan. The baby in the manger is the equipping that humanity needs to fulfill the expectations of God's established plan of abiding.